risk within our culture. Um, and probably for two primary reasons, uh, maybe three, but the first one is, and we talk about this every Christmas all the time, but, but certainly, you know, materialism has something to do with it. You know, the ism of material, right? And uh, it's not that it's bad to buy gifts. It's that we can't make gifts God and forget that Jesus is really a gift, <laughs> right? It's, in fact, let me just say that during Christmas, if we didn't buy gifts, there would be a lot of unemployed people uh, in the world today, right? I mean, no matter how you want to look at it, that's how, that's how capitalism works. And if you don't, we don't buy, people don't work. And if people don't work, then they can't, they can't live. And so, uh, so it's not that it's bad. And of course, there can be excess. But let me just say this again. It's not that it's bad to buy gifts. It's that we can't make gifts God and forget Jesus as gift. Let me just say this too. When we think of Easter, uh, we think of, you know, that was the time that Jesus truly made his ultimate sacrifice, which is true, but it wasn't like that there wasn't some significant sacrifice that Jesus made when he became human. I mean, you know, to be God, and then to set aside a lot of your godly attributes in order to become human and to live a group among a group of people, most of whom would despise you and abuse you. Um, I mean, you made all these sacrifices already on the front end only to have people not appreciate it already. And so, uh, you know, so, you know, Jesus' gift, I mean, it's a sacrificial gift. Uh, I mean, he came in love, certainly, but it was a loving sacrificial gift for him to come as a human being for all of us. So I just really want to challenge you to honor Jesus by keeping his sacrificial birth um, alive. That, and I would say it almost in this way. Let us joyfully live this Advent season as Christians, as believers, in open defiance of the materialism and in open defiance of how the world would want us to rethink the birth of Jesus and what it really was about. Just, let's just do that. Let's joyfully do that. You know, so, that, so, that um, so that the world sees that we really are different in that way. So I just, I think it's time and maybe long past time to have those conversations about um, how important it is to live intentionally, very intentionally. So for example, um, if, you, if you have family that comes in for the holidays and some of your family uh, are not Christian, do you have things in your home other than a Christmas tree that clearly convey the birth account of Jesus? Do you, when, when they come and maybe they wake up in the morning with you for on Christmas Day or whatever, would you read the Christmas story? When you send Christmas cards, are they sort of like the sort of kind of like the general cutesy kinds of Christmas cards? Or are they a Christmas card that really kind of has a poignant message? That we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ who came to be our sacrifice for our, our, uh, for our sins. Um, when they come to visit you and you are coming Christmas Eve, do you invite them to come to Christmas Eve service with you? 
See, there are all kinds of ways, and I realize, I mean, I realize that, you know, some people might be really resistant to that, and you think, well, I don't want to offend them. Well, I'm just saying, you know, 364 days of the year, they, they get to think of Jesus their own way, however they want to. But this is your day. And if they're in your house and you have some influence or whatever, in a loving, compassionate, but sort of like really deliberate way, convey to them what the real reason is for the season. And so live really kind of in open defiance, joyfully. Look, you, you may want to call it sparkle season or, or just happy holidays or something like that. But I'm not going to play that game. And I don't know about you, but every time I go into the store, I very deliberately say, you know, Merry Christmas, you know, uh, you know so, that, uh, so that they get a sense in which I'm, I'm one of those patrons for whom that's really important. And maybe it's important for them to hear it from me as well. Maybe it's encouraging. So, uh, so there's a kind of uh, subversiveness to all of this as well that's... Uh, Holy, I think, sanctified, uh, and no different than how first and second century Christians lived their lives, because they were very subversive about how they influenced the culture until really Christianity became the in, in thing, largely under a guy named Constantine, and there are some mixed reviews about that in some respects too. But so. Understand then that Christmas is sort of like, in one sense, the final movement of, of, uh, of, of a millennia and a half of revelation uh, that, that God gave to people to talk about what it was He was going to do for us. So if we went back to Genesis uh, chapter 3, and where it says, let, and then God said, I'm sorry, chapter two, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and Fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw that all that he made was very good. Now, I just want you to stop there for a second. Did you ever have a person in your life that when they gave praise to something, it was like you took notice of it? Because they weren't, they, they weren't typically people who gave praise to anything, right? I mean, they were very discriminating in that sort of way. They, that, they measured their words very carefully. And so if they said this was a good thing, you were like, I'm taking that to the bank, right? So uh, like when I go to Best Hardware and I see a Yeti cooler in there, you ever see a Yeti cooler? No. Well, it, well the first thing you see is the price tag, <laughs> okay, uh, for a cooler. Uh, but, uh, but, I, but people that I know who I trust, they say, that is a phenomenal cooler, right? And as a hunter who's been out, you know, it's bear-proof, which is really impressive, okay, <laughs> if it's bear-proof, all right? So, so when people say that to me, then I think, okay, well, I can take their word for it because they're not given to hide. They're pretty, like, they're pretty, uh, you know, uh, critical of a lot of things. But in this sort of way, uh, they say this is a good thing. So I, I'm going to take their word for it, and I trust them in that. When God created us and said that it was very good, God doesn't embellish. 
He doesn't bloat things up. He doesn't present them as, they, as more than what they really are. When God created humanity, he said, it's very good. God declares you and me very good. And he's not prone to uh, saying something that isn't true. In fact, he never says something that isn't true. We are very good in our original intent. So then, continuing on, and the Lord God commanded the man, you shall eat fruit of every tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And so they disobeyed. That which was very good did something that was very bad. And so when God encountered Adam and Eve later on, as he was talking to the serpent and the role that the serpent played in uh, tempting Adam and Eve in that way, God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We talked about this last week. And so here we have the proto-gospel. This is the, f in other words, let me just say it this way. This is the first Advent message. This is the first Advent message. All the way back during primordial history. At the beginning of time, this is the first message of the coming. That's what Advent means. It means the coming. And so, um, and so we have uh, here, uh, from the very beginning of what happened to, to man close to his creation, to now, uh, at least 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ coming and being the fulfillment, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. So that's why this is relevant, because what happened to us was devastating and it was terrible and it compromised us. If you've done what I've done over the years and the people that you've dealt with over the years, you see the devastation of sin not only in your own life, but you can see the devastation of brokenness and sin in other people's lives. The bondage that it creates, the horror. I mean, if you've read all that I've read and seen all of I've seen in terms of videos related to war and genocide and things like that, the things that people can do to each other and still get up and eat and go about their lives as if it were nothing. We can be truly broken and truly evil at the same time. We can be dark, very, very dark. And so we need light, and we need the light of life. We need, that is, we need Christ to be our light of life. So with the fall, the world was plunged into deep, deep darkness. And even, even after that happened was the promise of hope through Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage all of us to look. You know, every time we celebrate that, we celebrate not only what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in terms of beginning that, 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 that final movement of bringing us into not only reconciliation, but complete restoration. And now we wait for his second coming. Right? We wait for him to come and to restore all things, which he promises to do, to drive all darkness back. 
And so uh, we see then that in Genesis 3.15 that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed and that the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Jesus Christ is Genesis 3.15. Go ahead and advance that if you would, Sarah. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because Christ is the revelation of that Old Testament. All of the promises in the Old Testament have been revealed in Him. Um, and so it's important to see the birth of Christ as the final revelation uh, for us. So in, in, a, in a week or so, I'll be talking about things then related to uh, the great covenants and how through each succeeding covenant, more darkness was driven back and more light uh, was gained. Last week I talked about, and this is sort of how I began uh, the sermon this morning, last week I talked about how, um, you know, uh, since the beginning of time up until about the 17th century, you had, uh, you had all of humanity, really all of humanity, globally speaking, saying, in the beginning, God. They might say gods, but they always attributed to their creation to a God. And then around the 17th century, under, uh, beginning with a guy named René Descartes, a French philosopher, mathematician, um, he infamously uh, penned these words, cogito ergo sum, which means, I think, therefore I am. And so from that point on, we switched from a, the focus of our very, our very origin, uh, our very our very existence from God to that of ourselves, our mind, our ability to think, that because we can think we exist, not because God created us, but because we can think. And that has created a lot of darkness. A lot of things have been done because man became the center of the universe. Man became, uh, you know, uh, anthropocentric. We became the center of this universe rather than God being the center of our universe. And because of that, it ha there have been things that, that have been done uh, that, have not, that have been very dark and very painful for humanity in general. We forget that Christ is our light and our salvation, our only way out of darkness into light, and that futile human efforts in mere reason and logic can never be our ultimate salvation. So this is where I sort of want to just get your attention again. This is what makes uh, uh, the celebration of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at risk, is that what the world wants us to believe is that human, humanity's reason and logic can supplant more than favorably uh, our belief in this divine person who set aside godly attributes to become a human so that as a perfect human, he can offer his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross so that our sins could be atoned for. So reason is supposed to replace faith. Facts are to replace conviction. Temporality is greater than eternity. Physical replaces spiritual and metaphysical. Example of Jesus over the claims of Jesus. This is where our culture has moved. This is, these are the very things that are challenging why we celebrate Christmas today. All of these things, 
Reason is supposed to replace, to replace faith. I mean, really, do you really think that it's possible that God would have this relationship with humanity, that he would send his son like a pauper and, and born in those kinds of conditions? I mean, isn't that like overly romantic? I mean, that's what they say. Facts are, re are to replace conviction. You know, uh, you know, sometimes facts are very compelling and we need to go by facts, but sometimes conviction should be more compelling than what the facts that we have before us because you can't always know the facts, right? You think you can know the facts. You know, reason is only as good as the facts that you have before you. Take some of those facts away and what you are reasoning changes dramatically. Put new facts in and what, what you are reasoning changes dramatically. So reason isn't always an end-all and a be-all. Reason is thoroughly, thoroughly dependent upon uh, the variables that it has at hand. Change any of those variables and the reason and the conclusion that you draw from it changes radically. Temporality is greater than, any, than eternity. In other words, only the physical matters. What is temporary here is really what we should be investing in. Eternity really isn't a possibility. It doesn't exist. Well, how do you know? Because we can't measure it by scientific method. So you're telling me that you can't use a method that's designed to work only with the physical to measure that which is metaphysical, beyond the physical. Right. Do you hear what you're saying? It's like trying to take an instrument that only measures water and say that air couldn't possibly exist. Now, how possible is that? If you had an instrument that could only measure water and then concluded from that that air could not possibly exist, do you think fish think that air exists? Probably not. Because they don't have the variables. The physical replaces the spiritual or metaphysical. I mean, there, there, there are people being paid a lot of money right now saying, I mean, they, and, and writing papers saying that we believe that we understand how the, the electrical, chemical uh, uh, synapses of your brain and all those other things work in such a way that it explains emotion, it explains what you believe God to be, it explains uh, what you believe spiritual to be, it explains all of that. What you really think is spiritual or those kind of things, it's just a chemical, electronic chemical relay, that's all it really is. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Son of God, and I've mentioned it before, uh, several times before. Some of us went to see that movie together. There's a movie that says that Jesus Christ should only be seen as an example, not in terms of what his claims were about himself. It's a very dangerous movie. I understand it was, it was done sincerely, but it does not convey the totality of what Jesus said about himself. He said that he was the Son of God. He said that he came to be the sacrifice for, uh, for the sins of humanity. None of that is in there in that movie. The only thing that's in there is this. Jesus Christ criticized the, the rich and the powerful in his culture, and because of that, they, they didn't like him, and they sacrificed him for it. That's what the movie says. Jesus says that in part, but that's not the fullness of what Jesus was about. That's where our culture wants us to shift and to change in terms of who Jesus is. And it all begins with his birth. It all begins with that. 
So I would just want to, I'll say it again, I just want all of us here to live in open and joyful defiance of what the culture says that the birth of Jesus Christ is all about. It was, it was wonderful to see some of you as we sang some of these hymns sort of resonate and connect with the beautiful words, the poetry associated with these ancient hymns that we sing uh, about Christmas. Hold on to that feeling and that spirit. Don't let that go. Practice that throughout the day. Listen to it when you're at home. Read the words, just, you know, uh, even bring it up online, the, the words of the great hymns and things like that, and read through them. They're tremendous theology. They are beautifully written, and they will move your heart. Instead, the world would want us to think differently. I mean, look then at the humankind, uh, humankind's historical journey with light and darkness. We believe that we are made in the image of God. That's light. Eventually, some people believe that we can make our own gods. They created idols. That's dark. We, we also, some of us believe that we can make ourselves gods. That is, through works, that God will love us and he will let us into heaven. That's dark. Today, many people believe that we can make ourselves our own gods. That all we need to do is just get better educated, be more just, give more equality, gain more technology, and we can make ourselves gods. We can create our own heaven here. That's dark. Those of us who are true believers believe that we are transformed into Jesus' likeness through, through, the, through the work of Christ. That's light. And that's what we have to hang on to. That's what we have to believe that the birth of Christ. So when we, when we think about what does it mean for Jesus to come and to be born to uh, a carpenter and his wife, in, in the, the sort of the harsh and austere conditions in which they were born. Um, uh, what, does it, what, you know, what does it mean for us? I mean, does it mean that it's just sort of this romantic picture, or do we understand that this great love that God had for us, that he was willing to send his son in that kind of a way because he loved us so much, and because he was trying to give to us an example, not only an example, but a um, uh, 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 a, uh, a demonstration of his great love for us. The Apostle Paul speaks to people who want to who think differently about that in this way. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory, and you could almost put light in there, of the immortal God for images. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. If we live in open defiance to the materialism, if we live in open defiance to um, uh, to how the world wants us to change our worldview about who Jesus is, if we live in open and joyful defiance, we challenge the darkness and the foolishness of their hearts. We challenge that. We give them a viable alternative to see something differently, something that's, I think, inherently more beautiful. And it's not like we have to sort of take them on, uh, maybe, but it's more like we just have to live with the kind of confidence and authenticity that God calls us to. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago as fully God and fully human, as our only means to restore uh, 
to be made into his imageness. This is our salvation. So I want to take you to what I think is a great Advent theme in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And, and I think that, again, this is where the Old Testament is the New Testament and the New Testament is in the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 9, 2. The people who, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. So when you think about that, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You have seen that great light. You have experienced that great light. There are still people around us walking in darkness who have not seen that great light. And how will they see that great light if we surrender to them, if we don't live intentionally with the true reason for the Christmas season? The Christmas season is didactic. It is a teaching opportunity for us to, to correct the way in which the world perceives Jesus Christ and the purpose for which he came to earth 2,000 years ago. We have an opportunity to live in a world that is in darkness, that, that has tried, that's tried to morph the reason for Jesus Christ during Christmas. And we have an opportunity every day that we are out there to help correct that because it's on their mind. Christmas is on their mind. And the alternative, which is now the alternative, the alternative for us to convey the realness and the genuineness and the authenticity of why Jesus came is there for us every day. So that we can maybe encourage those who live in deep darkness to move into the light. So we see here in Isaiah 9 too, where there's this, this prophecy that those who live in darkness would be in a great light. And then we see in Luke 2, 28 through 32, where Luke appeals to his understanding of the Old Testament and his understanding of how the New Testament was in the Old Testament. And he says these words. Simeon, that is, you'll recall that Jesus and, uh, I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary were going to take Jesus in to be, uh, uh, to be dedicated. And they encountered uh, a guy named Simeon. And Simeon saw them, and when he did, it says, Simeon took him in his arms, that is Jesus, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people, Israel. You know, Simeon lived in a place during a time where Nobody wanted to live according to what they, they should have understood the Old Testament to be. Pharisees and Sadducees, even zealots, wanted to change the message of the Old Testament to something that was more appealing, more desirable, more socio-politically correct. That's what they wanted. They, he lived during a time when the Romans and the Greeks wanted to believe something wholly a holy other, completely different, in other gods. But Simeon held true. And when Simeon saw Jesus, these were his words. And he used that opportunity to make this pronouncement. And now, this same pronouncement has been read for 2,000 years. Because he remained faithful. And he understood the purpose for the birth of Christ, and he would not swerve from it. 
Do you think Simeon thought that these words would be read across the world for 2,000 years? I don't think he did. So what are your words? What is your message? What will you be saying during this Christmas, during this Christmas season? What images will people see in your home and outside of your home? In things that you send, in how you write, in how you speak? Is there anybody here who might utter some words that maybe 2,000 years ago into the future people will say, you know, someone said 2,000 years ago. You could be one of those people. But none of us could be any of those people if we allow the world to have sway over what they want to believe about the birth of Jesus. We have to be faithful. And I pray that we will be.